Hey everybody, welcome to your weekly sermon slash teaching from Brad Tuttle Ministries. And for all of you that are watching this via YouTube, the Brad Tuttle Ministries YouTube channel, thank you for joining in. For all of those who are listening to this via our Spotify account or on Podbean for just the audio podcast portion, I appreciate you listening to this as well. I hope this finds you walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, living in the joy of the Lord with a purpose and a passion to pursue the things of God no matter what the cost. Amen. Well, we're going to talk about, uh, last week we talked about the cost of discipleship. And we looked in the book of Luke chapter 14. And if you didn't hear that, you need to go back and listen to that. That's one place where we learned about what is the cost of discipleship. Well, there's another one. So we're going to title this The Cost of Discipleship Part 2. Pretty creative, huh? The Cost of Discipleship Part 2. And we're going to be in Matthew chapter 8. We're going to be reading verses 18 through 22. Verses 18 through 22. All right. So The Cost of Discipleship Part 2. Matthew 8, 18 through 22. Are you ready? Let's get, I like to get right into it. I don't like to have a lot of stuff at the beginning. It takes up all y'all's time. I just like to get right into the message. Okay, so let me read this. Some of these words are going to be in red, and those are the words of Jesus. So this is the way it was written, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Now, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, you know, and remember last week's in Luke chapter 14, there was a great multitude following after him, and he turned to them and dealt with them very directly about what it's going to really cost to truly follow after him. We see this another account of the same type of thing here. He says, when, I, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to depart to the other side of the sea. Then a scribe came. We don't know who the scribe is. We don't know uh, had he been following Jesus at other times. Well, this is his first time. But then a scribe came and said to him, teacher... I will follow you wherever you go. Remember, when you when people talk to Jesus and make statements like that, he's able to read their heart because he's God in the flesh. So he can see if this is really something that's sincere or if this is somewhat of a superficial statement that he realizes, uh, you know what, you don't really mean that. You're not really going to follow through with that. So he said, teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, the foxes have holes and the birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. In verse 21, And another of the disciples said to him, Lord, allow me first to go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. We're going to break these down and look at them. But again, what is the cost of discipleship? And Jesus urged his followers in this particular section of Scripture verses and in the book of Luke, he, he urged his followers to count the cost. Remember I said this last week, Jesus wasn't fooled by large crowds. He didn't, uh, it wasn't like today. You know, it, it, people think if the church is big, then it must really uh, be of God. Well, you know, you got to think about it as well. If the church is really big, then maybe the pastor's preaching things is tickling the ears of the people. And then people just want to come to him to hear good things or nice things or blessings and all that kind of stuff. Um, 
but maybe he's not really speaking and preaching on things that bring conviction. That's why there's so many people that go there. So he urges followers to count the cost, but have any of us really taken the time to do that, to think about the cost of truly following Jesus? And I mentioned this so many times lately because I've been reading all the accounts, different accounts, true story accounts of so many people in other nations of the world that are hostile and uh, restricted to Christianity. And these people, when they get converted, they count the cost because they realize it could cost them their very life. And have we settled in our hearts that we are really willing to follow him no matter what the cost? Because I'll say this again, persecution is going to come to this country much harsher than it is right now. Uh, I think that persecution is going to come into the church. It's going to really challenge the people in the church. Are they really saved? Are they really disciples? Are they really followers of Christ? Or, the, or, or what is what they're doing a superficial thing, like they do their church thing? And we're going to talk about that a little bit more. Martin Luther, the great reformer, said, A religion that gives nothing costs nothing and suffers nothing is worth nothing. Let me say it again. A religion that gives nothing, costs nothing, and suffers nothing is worth nothing. And the world has been a difficult and a trying place for those who are serious about following Christ. Again, many and other nations of the world are killed, tortured, imprisoned for simply following after Christ. Listen to some of these statistics from the World Evangelical Encyclopedia. It says this, Since the death of Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago, 43 million Christians have become martyrs. Over 50% of these were in the last century alone. More than 200 million Christians face persecution each day, 60% of whom are children. Every day, over 300 people are killed for their faith in Jesus Christ. Wow, listen, somewhere, somewhere along the way, we have become convinced in this country that Christianity was easy. Just add some water, voila, instant Christianity. And that seems like the way many people think of it. All you had to do was go to church once in a while, say a few prayers, read your Bible from time to time, and then invite Jesus into your heart as your personal Savior, and you were good to go. You could go on living with your own goals. You could go on living with your own ambitions. You could make life the way you wanted it to be. You could do it your way, still get to heaven, and it would all be good. But that's not what the cost of discipleship is about. But is that what Jesus intended here? No. What does it mean to be a true follower, disciple of Christ? Is there a difference between a superficial Sunday believer and a true disciple? And if our goal as a church is to make disciples, then what should be happening in the lives of those who attend our churches? It should be radical transformation constantly going on. Are we becoming fully, or are they becoming fully devoted followers of Christ? So the theme of our section of scripture verses is Jesus calls on his followers to count the cost of discipleship. Now again, there's a difference between those who follow Christ for loaves and fishes and those who follow Christ with all their heart, 
their soul, their mind, and their strength. Jesus indicated uh, this often in his teaching, but as we look at Matthew chapter 8, 18 through 22, we see that, number one, there is a distinction between the crowd and the disciple. Let's start by looking at a closer, taking a closer look at verse 18. When Jesus noticed how large the crowd was growing, he instructed then his disciples to cross to the other side of the lake. He had just been ministering in the town of Capernaum. He had healed many diseases. He had driven out evil spirits. Hey, and think about it. I'm sure that caused people to want to crowd around him, not because they wanted to be a disciple, not because they wanted to be a follower, but because like people do today, they like all the flash and the pants stuff. They're all about, you know, everybody gets moved by the healing and moved by the casting out of devils and, you know, but uh, not really in the sense of wanting to follow Christ. It, they're just They're just attracted by the supernatural, so to speak. He preached, he taught people, and so many of them followed him that they were pressing against him at the beach. Then he gives his disciples this order. He gives the disciples this order. He said, we need to move to the other side of the lake. And I thought about it. Why would Jesus want to move to the other side? Why would he want to do this? I mean, because of course he came to seek and save that which was lost. And he had indicated often that he must keep on moving from town to town to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. But why here did he want to move to the other side of the lake? Matthew verse 18 indicates the motive for Jesus crossing to the other side was more than just wanting to reach the people on the other side. Matthew writes this, when Jesus noticed how large the crowd was growing, he instructed his disciples to cross to the other lake, the other side of the lake. So remember, Jesus was still really popular at this time. Um, he attracted crowds of would-be disciples. He was like a modern-day rock star, so to speak, and had attracted a lot of groupies who were just there to, you know, very superficially meet him or see him or watch him do some of these incredible things. But he saw something in the crowd that wasn't right, just like he saw something in the crowd that wasn't right in the, the account in Luke chapter 14 that we talked about last week. Maybe the crowd was too large. Remember, he wasn't fooled by crowds. So in that multiple, that great multitude of people in Luke 14, he looked at them and gave them this very direct uh, uh, teaching on what the cost of discipleship really is. So I would almost bet that crowd was winnowed down to not nearly as many as were originally following after him. So was the crowd too large? But we know that he preached to 15,000 people at a time when he fed to 5,000 men and women. So it wasn't necessarily that it was too large, but it seems that it's more likely that he observed in the crowd a desire to follow him solely based on his miracles and not out of desire to change. Remember, when Jesus looks at people, he knows what you're thinking. He knows the very depth of your heart. He knows if you are a... He knows if those people that were following him, were they truly devoted? Were they truly going to become followers of Christ? Or were, they, or, or were they just doing it, again, because they wanted to follow after all the miracles and signs that they had seen, not out of a desire to truly be a disciple, to change and to be a true follower of Christ? Again, we see the same thing in Luke chapter 14 that we studied last week. They were excited about what Jesus could do for them, but they didn't have a heart to become like 
Jesus. And there's many accounts in the Word of God where Jesus turns and talks to crowds, and the things he preaches about is talks about how the people walked away. The people left. He did not, again, he was not fooled by big crowds. He preached the truth because he wanted to make sure that people understood the cost of truly following him. There's a difference between the crowd of believers we find in our country today and those who are fully devoted disciples of Christ. And I have read so many accounts in these nations of the world where these people give their lives to Jesus. They convert from Islam or Hinduism or Buddhism. They convert, they start to follow Christ, but they've already counted the cost, knowing that the moment that they do, their life is literally on the line. They could be killed that day. They could be killed by their own family. In the Muslim culture, they call it honor killings. They will kill their own family members. How, how would you like to be a follower of that religion? They kill their own family members because they converted to Christianity. Wow. So there's a lot of differences between the crowd of believers we find in our country today and those who are fully devoted disciples of Christ. One of those differences that I observe is the crowd loved Jesus and sought him for the help he could bring to their troubled lives. And listen, there's nothing wrong with that at first. Jesus loves people and he cares for their injuries and he cares about their sorrows. He came as a healer and he restored people to life. So in, in, a, in one essence, that, that's, that's okay. They, they, they sought him, they loved him because of what he could bring to their troubled lives. But the disciples had grown from following Jesus out of a hunger for his miracles to follow him, following him out of a hunger for him. They wanted more than just what Jesus could do for them. They wanted Jesus. And it wasn't the blessing that they were looking for, but the one giving the blessing that mattered most to them. So within that crowd of great multitude that was following after them, there were true followers of Christ that weren't just there for the show. They were there because they really wanted to follow after Christ. Not the signs and wonders, but after Christ. Another problem, another difference I see between the modern believers today in our country and those who are fully devoted disciples of Christ around the world is the crowd enjoyed listening to the teaching of Jesus, but the disciples wanted to think like Jesus and pray like Jesus and be like Jesus. That's the difference. They didn't just want to go listen to him speak. I'm sure if you heard him speak in person, it was probably just an amazing thing to sit and listen to. It was God in the flesh talking to you, but there wasn't a real desire in them to really begin to think like Christ and to live like Christ and to pray like Christ and to be like him. Another one, the crowd wanted a savior to rescue them from all their problems. But the true disciples that were following him longed for a king to rule over their lives. That's a huge difference. Not just wanting, not just wanting him so he will rescue them, but they wanted him to be the king over their lives. That's powerful. Uh, another one, the crowd received what they needed from Jesus, and then they went on with their lives. But the disciples, those truly following Christ as a disciple, gave up everything to be with Jesus and to join him in his work. Work. Wow. A disciple of 
Christ. And many times when people said, what does disciple actually mean? Well, it means someone who learns, he's a student, but it really means a lot more than that in the context of what Jesus, I think Jesus tries to portray to people in, in, in the sense of what is a true disciple. A disciple is someone who follows a master. Jesus is my master, and it is my desire to follow after him. Man, and even as I say that, you know, he could be looking down into my heart and saying, you know, is this real? I believe as he looks into the depth of my heart that he knows that I mean this, that I, I, I have lived for him since I was 27 years old. I have kept moving forward. I have served the Lord. I have worked for the kingdom. I haven't always been perfect like none of us are, but I've always strived to make my life as holy before other people and righteous and um, upstanding before other people. I've, I've tried to strive as much as I could to be a person of prayer and to be in the word. Um, I, 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 I follow my master. Um, to be a disciple, someone whose life is shaped by the teaching of the master. A disciple is someone who becomes like the master in every way adopting his values, his attitudes, his actions, and principles for life. And man, I hope that I am, I'm not perfect in all of this, but I am working every day to adopt all of his values, his attitudes, and actions. Another one is, in short, a disciple is molded and shaped into the master's image. And that's the beautiful thing that goes on while we're saved, once we get converted and we come to faith in Christ, we at that moment get thrown on the potter's wheel. And for any of you that have ever done pottery, you're thrown on the potter's wheel and the potter's hands are working that clay, shaping and molding. From what I understand, you got to make sure you take out all the impurity, all the impurities, all the little bubbles and all the little, anything in there that could be an impurity because when it gets thrown into the kiln, if, there, if the impurities are not removed, that thing could then crack under that severe uh, heat. And uh, that's the way we are as men and women of God. The moment we get converted, we are, and understand something, when the potter has to apply, he has to apply pressure to that clay to shape it into the shape that he wants it to be. That's pressure. And that's what you're going to feel as a believer, as the pot, as the pot, as the pottery on the pottery wheel and the master is molding us, you're going to feel the pressure of his hands because he's trying to do everything he can to develop you and make you into a vessel that is greatly useful to him and his kingdom. So Jesus calls out of the crowd and into discipleship. But in order to become a disciple, we must do something. We must, the doing something means we need to be reading, studying his word, praying, pursuing a deeper walk, imitating him, uh, adopting his values, adopting his principles of life more than anything else we do. This drive and desire to follow after Christ is more important than any thing else we do he's first Jana's not first my dog's not first nothing else is first Christ has to be first remember he owns everything I have anyway so we must cross over to the other side so to speak 
We must step out of the crowd. We got to get in a boat with Jesus. We must commit ourselves to him. We must travel where he travels to do what he does and to live with him as a center of our lives day after day. Have you, have I made a decision to do that? Are we in the boat with the Lord or are we satisfied when Jesus occasionally shows up to take care of a problem that we've been facing? Where are you today in your walk with Christ? So to further understand this call to commitment, Matthew talks about two people who approach Jesus with a desire to become a disciple. And this is great. This is very straightforward. One of them asked Jesus for permission to follow him. The other is asked by Jesus to follow him. But both struggle with the call to commitment and the cost of discipleship. Let's look at these in our final two points. Let's look at these two different people. To follow Jesus as a disciple means that I must sacrifice. Look at the account of the, of the scribe we read in verses 19 and 20. He says, Then one of the teachers of the religious law said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes and the birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of, the man, son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Again, we don't know who the scribe is. We know nothing of his background. We know only that uh, of all the other scribes and teachers that followed him at that point from time to time, this was one of the few that responded to Christ with a desire to become his disciple. Are you getting the difference here? It's not a superficial walk. It's not a following Christ for the supernatural uh signs and wonders that you see that draws people um I, listen i've been in this church game for a long time and i've been around a lot of the types of ministries that are out there and people get caught up in all the flashy showy stuff like you know people praying for the sick and saying that people got healed or you know all the different things that go on people love that stuff they love the signs and wonders but it's not about that it's about being a disciple of christ that's what it's all about because when it comes down when the rubber meets the road you better be a true disciple of jesus christ so again we don't know who he was um, but he was one of the few that seemed to really want to follow him as a disciple. Maybe he had been a part of the crowd. I don't know. Maybe he was at the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, he had seen Jesus do, obviously, probably many miracles and healing uh, in Capernaum where Jesus had just left. And now he wants to know more. He wants to become a disciple of Christ. But Jesus doesn't just welcome him with open arms. Instead, Jesus asked the scribe to count the cost. Listen, following Jesus comes at a cost. If you're really going to follow him as a disciple, there's going to be a cost because it involves sacrifice. And that's what I'm talking about when persecution comes to the church. It's going to separate the wheat from the tares because not everybody is going to be willing to pay the cost of following after Christ. Again, so many stories in these true accounts of books from other nations of the world where these people literally, to the point where they are on their knees about to be beheaded, they, are, they have no fear because 
they're just about serving Christ. If this is part of it, this persecution, this martyr, this martyrdom they're going to go through, if that's part of it, they are willing to, because they know for sure when they die where they're going to be. So they understand the sacrifice. They understand the cost. In America, we don't. We don't understand the sacrifice and we don't understand the cost. Listen, no servant is above his master. If Jesus was rejected, if Jesus was harassed, and criticized, and even killed, the followers of Christ should expect no better treatment. Someone says, man, that's kind of a harsh downer kind of statement. It's truth, though. That's why people need to be preaching this. It's not all about what I can get. It's not all about speaking things into existence. It's not about all the word of faith stuff. It's about if Jesus was rejected, if Jesus was harassed and criticized and even killed, the followers of Christ should expect no better treatment. They understand that in nations around the world. We don't understand that now in the church because persecution hasn't come harshly into this nation as of yet. Listen, Jesus had nothing. He gave up his home and his income. He had no furniture. He didn't own a car. The only possessions he had in life were the clothes he wore, and those would eventually be won in a gambling contest at the foot of the cross. He lived a life of service to others. He was pressed upon by crowds of people wanting help. He spent many sleepless nights in prayer. He depended upon God the Father for physical need. Even the animals have a place to call their own, but Jesus had no home. His home was in heaven with his father father and as followers of christ we too have become sojourners travelers and aliens living on a planet that is not our home our home is in heaven with god we are just passing through we pass through this life and what we think we possess is not really ours anyway it belongs to the lord and we simply are stewards so to be a disciple of christ means you must be willing to sacrifice many of the pleasures of the world. I cannot stop saying this, but a lot of these accounts I read overseas of people that have given their lives over, they have lost everything. I mean, they will go to the point where they could be killed, but but many times they will literally come into their homes, whether it's Islamic extremists or, or whoever would come into their homes and they will, they will burn their houses down. They will kill their wife. They will kill their kids. They'll take all their possessions away from them, but they keep serving Christ because they have counted the cost and they are true followers and disciples of Jesus Christ. No, I don't want that to happen to me. No, I don't want that to happen in my family. But am I willing to continue to follow after Christ if it does? And that is the point and that is the question. There is a cost to discipleship. Are you willing to pay the price? Are you willing to pay the price? Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I'm actually reading one of his books right now, The Cost of Discipleship. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was, uh, he was a Christian who stood up to the Nazis and then was killed in a concentration camp in 1945. And I think he was 39, maybe 40 years old, that's all. He put it this way. Listen to this quote. The cross is laid on every Christian. As we embark upon discipleship, we surrender ourselves to Christ in union with his death. We give over our lives to death. The cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life, but it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. When Christ calls a man, 
He bids him come and die. There's a cost. There's a cost to discipleship. We have changed in this country. Um, we have given up the idea of sacrifice for Christ, and we've replaced it with comfortable pews and easy services that don't demand too much from us. Just go get my hour and go home. We gotta, you know, now it's become churches have four or five services. It's just an hour, get out, new crowd, hour, get out, new crowd, hour, get out, new crowd. And um, today we want God's blessing without the pain of God's purging. We want sermons on how to win friends, how to have peace of mind, how to forget our fears. But we must remember that Christ came to make men good rather than merely to make men feel good. And that's where our church has come to in America in many um, large percentage is it's not, they don't want the pain of God's purging. They just want his blessing. They want these easy breezy sermons again on how to win friends, how to have peace of mind, how to find joy, how to forget our fears. But remember that Christ came to make men good rather than merely to make men feel good. To be a disciple of Jesus means that I enter into training to become like my king. He will discipline me. He will train me. And through many trials and difficulties. And all of this is done out of love. Not to harm me, but to make me stronger. To make me ready for the kingdom. I remember going through, I volunteered for Navy Dive School um, you had to qualify and go through a lot of physical tests to get into this. And it was demanding and you were constantly at times, remember I was back in the years where there was no political correctness uh, and they said anything they wanted to say, you, you know, you were berated, you were, you were, they just, it was, it was a constant barrage of, of difficulties and testings and trials. And the ones that were the instructors that led us to do this, at times they seem harsh, at times they seem mean, at times they seem cold and calculated, but it was all for the purpose of training us and to be people who um, were stronger and made ready for the job that was ahead of us. And that's the way it is in the kingdom of God. We've got to be willing to go through the training, to go through the difficult times, to go through the trials and the discipline so that we can come out a better vessel of honor for the kingdom of God. Um, I, again, I ask the question, are we really willing to pay the price? Are we willing to sacrifice everything in order to follow after Jesus? So our final illustration comes from one of the disciples that Jesus challenged to cross over. Would he be willing to pay the price and follow Jesus no matter what the cost? So in the so the disciple, this disciple had an excuse. And uh, the point on this would be Jesus calls us, and when we, he calls us, we must not hesitate. Remember, when he called out the 12, each time he called them out, boom, they left their net, they left their job. They literally got up dropped their nets, Peter, for an example, dropped his nets, left his job, and went and from that moment on followed after Christ to the point of his being martyred for the cause of Christ. Matthew 8, 21 and 22. Another of his, of his disciples said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me now. Now, basically, is what he was saying. Let those who are spiritually dead care for their own dead. Now, if you were just, 
reading over this, this would seem a little bit cruel on the part of Jesus. But we need to remember that in Eastern cultures, the dead were buried within 24 hours. So what is most likely happening here is not that the man's father had actually died, because certainly Jesus could have waited a few hours or a day for him to do this. The phrase used by this man was a common Near Eastern, Eastern figure of speech that referred to a son's responsibility to help his father in the family business until the father died and the inheritance was distributed. Obviously, such a commitment like this could involve a long period of time, 30 or possibly 40 years or more if the father was relatively young. And the expression is still used in parts of the Middle East today. So the response given by Jesus indicates that when he calls us to follow, he expects us to follow without delay. The Greek word for follow me is in the present imperative. That is a basically a command. He's saying today, this hour, I want you to follow me and become my disciple. The call of Jesus comes before any call of this world. And our obedience to him must take priority over our obedience to any other obligation or duty that we may feel we have. Jesus, listen, he doesn't want us to neglect our families. He doesn't want to, but our families are never to pull us away from following the Lord. That's why they tell people don't get unequally yoked. That's why I say if you're a born-again believer, you shouldn't marry an unbeliever. If you're truly a disciple of Christ, following hard after the Lord, you shouldn't marry an unbeliever because that's going to drag you down. You need to marry somebody, I mean, in the perfect world, in the best way, in the best you know, aspect, you need to marry somebody who's going to run the race as strong as you are. Amen? So I ask you, so where there's a conflict, Jesus must come first. You know, this guy had an excuse, and Jesus read his heart. He knew what was going on here. Listen to it. He says, um, let me go back. He says, follow, he says, this guy said, another disciple said, Lord, let me, so he's, he's asking Jesus, can I follow you? Lord, let me first return home and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me now. He, he understood. He, understand what, he understood what was going on here, and he's calling this guy to account. I'm asking you to follow him. If you're going to follow me, you got to follow me right now. I don't have, we're not talking about 10 years from now, 20 years, 30 years, until your father dies, you need to follow me right now. That's his call. And that's the, more, that's the most important call of any call ever. So are you putting Jesus first? Are you paying the price to follow him? Or are you looking for any and all kinds of excuses to avoid obeying him? And I really believe Um that in my life, I didn't make any excuses for not obeying him or to avoid obeying him. I surrendered my life to Christ in that bedroom. And from that moment on, I had a desire to, to be, and even not knowing at the time the right verbiage, I had a desire to be a disciple of Christ, to be a true follower of Christ. And I, I want, I, I'm still there. I want, I have that passion still today. 
It's why I get up early in the morning and spend time in prayer before I do anything else in my day. It's why my wife gets up at all hours of the night and spends time with God in prayer before she does anything else of the day. Um, No excuses, because excuses can be noble and full of good intentions, but if they're keeping you from following Christ, they are wrong. Amen. Wow. So it's, it's something, it's a decision that we make that we obey. And uh, it's that first step. Jesus calls us to follow after him. We, I gave my life or we give our lives to Christ and that call is continuing. Follow me. Follow me. Be like me. Live like me. Learn from me. I'm your master. Um, you're my student. Help, let me help you grow into Christ's likeness. And it is a lifetime journey that we continue to fight and press forward, keep on running our race, and don't let anybody, don't let anybody cut in on our race to stop us from getting where we know we need to be. Because life is very short, and compared to eternity, life is short. And we know none of us how long we have on this earth to live. We want to avail ourselves to Christ that we might fulfill everything that He has called us to fulfill. And I want to close with this last story. True story. In Pakistan, 18-year-old Mohan Shahzad grew up making bricks for less than a dollar a day. To free himself from that slavery, he began selling Christian literature to the brick kiln workers. That's all he was doing. Late last September, as Mohan was riding his bike home from a day of selling literature, just trying to make some money, Christian literature, always do, that's all he's doing, Two men whose faces were covered with black scarves jumped out of a sugarcane field onto the road. Mohan abruptly stopped his bicycle to avoid a, con- a collision. One of the assailants pointed a pistol at Mohan. The other wielded an axe. They demanded Mohan stop distributing Christian literature. When he refused, one of the attackers swung the axe at him, slicing into his flesh and severing his left arm. The assailants fled as Mohan lay on the ground, bleeding, writhing in pain. Help arrived and Mohan was taken to a nearby hospital. There was little the inexperienced and ill-equipped doctors could do to reattach his left arm. There followed months of inadequate medical care, infection, hospitalization, and then some help from a Christian ministry to get the medical care he needed. Mohan told us he plans to resume his Christian literature distribution activities and will find a way to continue the work God has called him to do. He said, quote, I have lost my one arm. Even if they cut off my other body parts, I am ready for that. I will carry on with my work, even if death is the result. Building the Lord's kingdom is the mission of my life. Wow. That's humbling, man. Contrast this attitude with the attitude of the disciple who wanted to stick around home until his father had passed away and then received his inheritance. Which one between the two was worthy of truly being called a disciple? 
what, what there's so many accounts like this. He counted simply because he was distributing Christian literature, they severed his arm. Um, and, and there's so many more true stories just like this. And that's all people are doing. They're handing out a Bible. They're, they're, they're telling someone about Christ. And people around the world hate Jesus, hate Christianity, other religions, hate Christianity so deeply that they will kill you for doing it or converting in any way to Christianity. Wow. So I ask all of us, will you follow Jesus? How hard, how deep is your devotion to Christ? Will you count the cost? Are you counting the cost to step out of the crowd and to follow after him? A lot of them are running after him, but not many are running after him as true followers and disciples of Christ. Are you willing to begin today to pay the price and understand the cost that it may cost you to follow hard after Christ? In these last days, I'm telling you, it's coming. And it's going to take people who have hearts who are fully, fully ablaze for Christ, who truly in their heart, they've counted, they've already counted the cost. And they've already told themselves, they've already, they've already spoke to themselves that I am willing to die for Christ. I am willing to suffer for Christ. I am willing to go through persecution for Christ. They've counted the cost. So when it comes, they've already taken care of it and they can walk through it in victory, no matter what goes on in their life. Is that you? Is that where your passion for living for Jesus is today? There is a cost to discipleship. Don't make an excuse for avoiding obeying him in his call to a deeper walk with him. Amen. God bless. Let me pray for you right now. Father, I just thank you for this time together. And man, I thank you for the, the straightforwardness of Jesus to to call people to account on, on the real motivation of their heart. I thank you today that he calls people to account. I thank you that he doesn't tiptoe around, that he looks them in the eye and says, listen, if you're gonna, if you're gonna follow after me, you gotta count the cost. All of us who are listening to this right now, wherever it is, through audio or through video, here and or abroad, we pray today, God, that we would be people who would count the cost. We, we thank you for those in other nations of the world who have given up their lives for the cause of Christ, who are imprisoned right now for the cause of Christ, who've lost their possessions, family members for the cause of Christ. I pray that we all here in this uh, United States of America would count the cost of what it really is to be a disciple. It's not about just going to church and listening to some good music, praying a little bit, reading your Bible a little bit, have a little bit of fellowship and then going home. That's not what it is to be a true disciple, to count the cost. So Holy Spirit, equip us to be people who really have that strength within us that would be willing to persevere no matter what came, no matter what came against our lives today. So I just give you the glory and the praise and the honor that many today, many as they're listening to this, whenever it is, that they are allowing themselves, they are opening their hearts and saying, Jesus, today I choose to be a true disciple of Christ. I count the cost. 
thank you for this and praise you for this time. In Jesus' name, everybody said together, amen and amen. Well, God bless you again, whether you're watching this by uh, YouTube video or through Spotify or our Podbean podcast, uh, or even on our website, bradtuttleministries.org. Uh, whatever, however you've come across this, I am grateful for you to listen for, for listening to it. And I pray that this will change you and let yourself be, you know, just let this sink into you and let this understanding of what it is to be a true disciple, let it, let it make a difference in your life. Amen. Pray like you've never prayed, get into the word like you've never got into the word and make everything in your life centered around your life in Christ. Amen. Until next time. God bless you. Live all out for Jesus.